Hello, murder mystery fans. My name is Jess, and this is Cam Cat Unwrapped. You've been listening to The Photo Thief by J.L. Delosier, and I have a whole list of awards here that it was nominated for and won. So we're going to go through these here because I've got to read them off. Um, it won an IPPY award for best mystery. It was a gold medal. It was nominated for best audiobook at the ITW awards for their thriller award. It was nominated for a silver falchion for best investigator, and it won an earphone award, um, from audiophile. So just a whole slew of amazingness coming from our friend Jen here, who is with us in the virtual studio today. I am so elated to have you. I always say I'm excited, but I'm, I'm going with new adjectives today. Jen, thank you so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to getting into your book with you. Thanks, Jess. It's, I'm happy to be here, too. Oh, it's fantastic. Fun. Yay. Well, we're so happy to have you. Why don't we just jump right into it to get started? Um, you can tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm JL Delosier. I'm a retired physician and uh, the author of five thrillers, murder mysteries, and multiple short stories, and even one poem, one poem. <laughs> Ooh, very cool. Well, we are all very excited about The Photo Thief. I remember when we first published it, you know, gosh, has it been almost a year now since The Photo Thief has been out? It's been over a year It was now. a year, a year in October. Oh my yeah, gosh. I, wow. Well, yeah. I remember leading up to actually getting October. to, wow, mm -hmm. leading up to actually getting to the, uh, the printed version, I got to read, you know, one of the final, okay, is this good to send to the printers? And it was so much fun to, to kind of get what felt like a little sneak peek. And now our Cam Cat Unwrapped audience <laughs> has been listening to the audiobook. I got to listen to the audiobook, um, but pretending that we know nothing about your book, uh, tell us, give us a little summary. Tell us about the photo thief. There's a grieving detective who is investigating a rich Philadelphia socialite's fatal fall down the stairs, and everyone's calling it an accident, but the victim's 18-year-old daughter, who has seizures and some other interesting um, situations going on, she claims that her mother was murdered by her father. And the reason she claims this, she says, is because the vintage black and white photos that hang on the mansion's walls have told her so. Mm. Yes. Uh, I feel I, it, it wasn't even that long ago that I was re-listening to the audio, you know, listening to the audiobook for the first time, but re-experiencing your story. And I still feel like every time I hear the description or the summary, it's it, it's like a, a fond memory now. Um, you mentioned that you were a, physi <laughs> a retired physician. Do, in your, um, you know, main, one of the main characters, she does experience these seizures. Did you feel like your experience as a physician informed anything about that and about that character? Oh, for sure. Uh, all my books, all five of my books have some element. I, do, I don't say that I write medical thrillers because I certainly don't, not like, sure. you know, Robin Cook or Tess <laughs> Gerritsen or any of them, but I do put an element of medicine in all of my books um, because sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, as they say, and there's so many fun <laughs> medical disorders, um, especially neurologic disorders that um, can, that fit nicely with uh, murder mysteries. 
Absolutely. And speaking of your other books too, um, you said all of your books are murder mystery, thriller-esque. What's your connection to, to writing that genre? You know, that's a great question. I don't know because I grew up on science fiction. Um, I love really? science fiction. Uh, all the classic science fiction writers, all of my first short stories were science fiction. Um, as a matter of fact, my only award-winning short story that's been published was actually science fiction. Wow. Um, and it won a, a, an Omega Award. So so I don't know why I even uh, went into to that. I think because at the time I had been doing a lot of disaster work. I, I actually wrote mm. my first three books while I was still a full-time physician and I was doing disaster work and there were so many um, situations that presented themselves doing that disaster work that I felt like those stories had to be told and that fit naturally in the thriller and, and mystery genre. So as a matter of fact, my second book, Storm Shelter, is really based totally on my disaster experiences. So, um, and my first one actually was basically a pandemic novel before the pandemic hit. It came out in 2016. So I predicted it all. You can read it in my first book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Well, okay. I mean, this is such a perfect segue into tell. Yeah. Okay. So your first book, you predicted the pandemic, which is so cool. And that just came out in 2016. So you've been quite prolific since then. Well, I had been. I had been doing a book a year, and then oh, um, wow. I did work through the pandemic as a physician, and oh so that gosh. was a very, very busy time, as you can imagine. And sure. so um, <laughs> there was a skip. There was a skipped year there, um, as far as uh, book publishing. Um, so I had been prolific, and unfortunately, in this last year, I've had some caretaking duties, having to take care of my mother. So my writing has slowed down considerably. Sure. Um, but I'm hoping that in the future, it will it will pick up again. I have a I keep a tickler list on my computer and. And last time I looked at it, I had like 40 different story ideas. So I certainly don't lack, lack <laughs> ideas. I just lack the, uh, the time to get them down on paper. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, okay. Where do, where do all of these ideas come from? I mean, for you to be writing so much too, and, and things that are award winning and future predicting, <laughs> how, how do you have the time to manage or, you know, at least previously both being a physician and, um, and writing a book a year. That just sounds like such an incredible feat. Well, I, I mean, people do it all the time, you know, and there are people who juggle more than I do. There are people who have children, small children, and they juggle their children and their career, and, and they still manage to put out books. So mm. I just feel like if it's something that, that drives you, if it's something that you really want to do, you, you make the time for it. And that's how I was with my first, uh, like I said, three or four books when I was still working full time. Um, now, The Photo Thief, I was only working. I, I say I'm retired, but I still do um, shifts from time to time. They call it working per diem just to to oh, keep wow. my foot in the door so the photo the photo thief was written with me working part-time and now I'm just sort of working per diem and and like I said if it's something that you love you'll just you'll just find the time and when I when a good idea takes hold I mean you just really want to get it down so that makes it easier that is definitely a, a, a feeling I can resonate with you know I tell authors all the time I'm no writer but I know the idea of oh this feels like something I should write down because it feels important. So I really love right. that. What inspired you, you know, after however many years of being a physician to actually start writing the stories that I presume you had ideas to write for a while before? 
So I have this in my long bio, and it's it's 100% true, where I actually started writing short stories when I was in like elementary school and junior high school. And once again, I was inspired by science fiction. And so I submitted my first short story, handwritten on lined school paper and pencil, to Isaac Asimov's magazine when I was like 12. And wow. um, they sent me this wonderful handwritten response, which of course was, you know, a rejection. Um, <laughs> but that was my, my first experience. And it was now that I'm, that I know, uh, what I know, um, I realized how rare it was to actually get a response. And so I'm very grateful wow. that they took the time to respond, <laughs> respond to me when I was a, when I was a child. But, um, I, I just, I, I had a bucket list of things that I wanted to accomplish in my life. And on the, right at the top of that bucket list was, I want to write a novel. And I had no aspirations of becoming a an, a published author. Like I, wow. I didn't think anyone would want to read what I wrote. I mean, I didn't really have any training, so to speak, as a writer. And so one day I just decided, you know, you're not getting any younger. You have this idea. <laughs> you may as well just just do it. And so I read Stephen King's On Writing. That was my only preparation. Wow. And then I sat down and wrote Type and Cross, my first book. It took me about a year. Um, and I would so love to have a do-over, even though, you know, <laughs> it got published and everything like that. I didn't know anything back then. And so I feel like I could take that original idea and do it so much better now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. But also how cool to have kind of a time capsule of your first, you know, stepping into becoming this author that you have become. And wow, I love that story. I feel like I so rarely hear from authors that were like, oh, you know, it was a bucket list thing. And I thought, let's just go for it. Um, because so often you hear of, you know, people who went to school for it. So I love that you have not only done your bucket list item, but that you have become such a huge success in it and that's such an inspiration I feel like you know for me and for the people out there who are like oh I don't know should I should I try and tick this off my bucket list and you know you are a living example of absolutely go for it that's <laughs> so great I love you that. know what's still on my bucket list that I have not done yet cake decorating take a cake decorating class so the easiest <laughs> thing on my bucket list and I have not done it yet <laughs> But, you know, I feel like there are so many out there, and especially with the online era being upon us, um, I, I have faith in you that you will be able to check that <laughs> off. <laughs> that is so fun. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, on the topic of your bucket list, are there other things that you, you, you said the one thing is the cake decorating. So are there other big things that you have been able to check off? Yeah, actually, my bucket list was very short. I only had four <laughs> things on it, and I have accomplished all of them except for the cake, cake decorating, decorating, which was the easiest. Well, I guess one of one of them was learn Italian. My family is Italian. You can probably tell because my hands are going all over the place <laughs> down here. But um, so I wanted to learn Italian, and so I took classes on Duolingo. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, that app, but yeah. I did a Duolingo um, language classes felt like I got pretty far along that. And then of course, didn't use it and have completely lost it again. So, oh. you know, that's a kind of an iffy one. Sure. I grew up speaking Spanish and never use it in my adult life and went mm -hmm. to, well, went to several Spanish speaking countries in my adult life and 
had very broken conversations attempting to <laughs> try and utilize my childhood Spanish that just was no longer there. <laughs> so I understand That's that. the sad thing. Like, again, in my Italian family, all the Italian speakers are gone now. You know, the older folks mm. are gone now. So I just didn't use it. Sure. Well, and what's funny is no one in my family speaks Spanish. I, I went to a Spanish speaking school, so, so no one wow. would use it in my family. <laughs> yeah, right. But enough about me. Back to you. You said that you were, your first couple of things were science fiction or, you know, your initial draw to the literary world was all science fiction based. And then just a switch flipped for you and you thought, I'm going to write this book and it just feels like a thriller. What was the, uh, when, when did that transition happen for you? Well, when I had the idea for my first book, again, it was a pandemic idea. And yes. so I could have made it science fiction, but um, it really seemed to fit. Um, that particular book had a sort of an international chase component to it. Mm. And so it really felt like it fit the thriller genre. I actually chafe at the... Um, at the genre restrictions. I mean, mm. when, and that was actually the, the hardest part about um, selling the photo thief to an agent or to a publisher was because where does it fit on the bookshelf? You know, it's a murder mystery. It's got paranormal elements. It's got a little bit of the horror element to it. And all of my books are like that. I mean, they have to be labeled of course, to be shelved in a bookstore, but they all have multiple elements. Um, you know, uh, the last book in that initial trilogy, uh, Blood Type X, mm. it's it's listed as a thriller, but I would call it horror. You know, all of my oh, books have that little bit of, yeah, yeah. And and even with science fiction, okay, now I'm going to get really off track here, Jess. So oh, I'm ready. Back in. <laughs> I love but it. But <laughs> even with science fiction, <laughs> um, the, the original definition of science fiction was science. So science that doesn't exist yet, fiction, it was not necessarily outer space. That's what it's become sure. now. And so even if you use that original definition, um, my books could be science fiction. I mean, the pandemic book that I wrote is not a real, thank God, situation <laughs> that, I, that, I, that I wrote. And so it, it could be science fiction. That's what Michael Crichton did. I mean, he's classified as a thriller writer. He's a fellow physician. Um, mm. God rest his soul. He's deceased now. But, you know, Jurassic Park was science fiction. Sure, right? yeah, that makes that sense. technology at the time, at the time that technology did not exist. It does now, cloning and resurrecting fossils and things like that. But at the time it didn't. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, I, I definitely meet the definition of a cross genre author. A lot of my books don't Absolutely. fit nicely. And that's why, you know, from a reader's standpoint, I try to reach out to more readers and say, Hey, just because you may not like murder mysteries, does it mean you won't like the photo thief? Cause it's got a paranormal, it's got, you yeah. know, some, well, and the medical to aspect it, so. too, which is so interesting. I, I really love that you were able to incorporate things from your real life into the book. Are there other, you know, aside from the medical, you know, from your physician background, um, are there other things that you incorporated from your real life into specifically the photo thief, but your other books as well? 
Well, like I said, um, the 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 photo thief in particular uh, is set in Philadelphia at Thomas Jefferson, which is where I went to medical school. So oh um, it's set in a city that I lived in for four years. I don't live in Philadelphia now, but I lived there for four years when I was in medical school. So I was very familiar with the the whole sort of setting and and was able to make that a lot more uh, realistic, I think, um, because I had lived there. So have you always been in Pennsylvania? Uh, I briefly lived in New York um, for a couple years, but for the most part of my life, yes, I have been in Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. That is so neat. I feel like I've heard of people who move there or people who are from there and move elsewhere, but I really love that you stuck around and I love that you were able to make it based in your actual medical school. That is so fun. Um, Philadelphia is a fun city. I have only been for short periods of time for work, but when I've gone, I've always kicked myself for not having more time to be able to spend there. Do you, um, for when you use Thomas Jefferson, are the aspects of Thomas Jefferson that you wrote about at all um, how it is in real life? Or is that just you used the name, but totally fictionalized everything else? No, I mean, I, I did do, I did, I guess I would say I did a little bit of both, but I, I put one particular vignette in there that uh, was very, uh, that was 100% real. And that that was, um, so I went to medical school in, and I'm going to date myself here. So from 1990 to 94. So I was in Philadelphia in 90 to 94. And back then, um, Jefferson had, Hospital had redone its main lobby. And it was gorgeous. It had marble floors. It had brass handrails. I mean, it was unbelievable. You walked into the main lobby in the emergency room and you were like, what the heck? Is this a hotel or is this a hospital? (laughs) And at the time, everyone, um, and I will say this, uh, Trump at that time was just a real estate mogul. (laughs) And so at that time, they called it Trump triage um, is what they called Jefferson emergency room because of the the opulent redo. And I incorporated that into my book because I just thought that was funny. That is so fun. Well, the hospital from my hometown was similarly (laughs) extravagant. And so when you painted that kind of picture, I remember thinking, oh, this is very believable. You know, all hospitals have at least an area that's beautiful. And, you know, my hospital in my hometown had uh, this big koi pond in the middle of it. Oh, wow. (laughs) No idea why. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it, It seems like a hazard, but, you know. I, I don't know anything about designing a hospital, so clearly it's worked for them. <laughs> wow, how fun. And then you um, you said that you incorporate a lot of your medical, or maybe not a lot, but some of your medical history in your things. So is there research that you do as well, or is it all just kind of from your past experience or past um, knowledge of medical phenomena? It really depends on the book. So with the photo thief, I, I didn't have to do any medical research. I am unfortunately quite familiar with seizure disorders. Mm. And there's also some mental health um, issues. There's sure. some PTSD issues that are brought up in the book with with uh, Leland Dolan, who was a World War II veteran. So I'm very familiar with all those things. And I didn't have to do any research for those. Now with um, with my first book with Type and Cross, the, the evil villain scientist has a condition called uh, complete synesthesia. 
um, oh. synest- which I was familiar with, but yeah. synest- it's rare. So synesthesia is the, the connection of all five senses. So mm-hmm. if you play a note on the piano, you and I hear it, but people with synesthesia, they taste it mm-hmm. and they see a burst of color. So it's, again, a rare but real, and that's what I love is this rare but real stuff. Um, that really colored the way the villain um, saw the world, no pun intended, I guess there, um, <laughs> colored the way he saw the world and um, was was a huge plot point in that book. And so having never seen a patient with synesthesia, I had to do a little bit of research for that. Similarly, mm-hmm. in Blood Type X, which was the third book of that, that trilogy, um, I had a, a plot point where uh, we were basically changing people's blood types which can be done uh, with stem cell transplants. Um, You can change a person's blood type. Again, rare, but it can be done. And so not being a hematologist, I had to do a little bit of of research for that plot point, just because I knew that physician friends of mine would read the books and I had to get the facts right. (laughs) So... Wow, I love that. I really love that so much. That reminds me of a question um, that I might ask you at the end, just because it might be kind of a spoilery question. So... Um, I'll have to circle back around to that later, but in the meantime, um, let's shift gears a little bit so that I don't get ahead of myself. Uh, I would love to know about, especially because you were pumping out a book a year at one point, um, and it sounds like we'll continue to have more potential ideas floating around, um, what <laughs> what is your writing process? There we go. There was my question. <laughs> what 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 does that look like for you? Did do you start and finish a book in the entire year span? Is it something that, you know, you happen to have these ideas kind of lined up for a while and were able to kind of drop one book after another like that? Uh what does a, writing one book, let's let's say, what's your writing process look for that and how has it maybe changed as you've written now five. So I am what they call a pantser, um, which means that I write by the seat of my pants. So (laughs) I don't outline or anything like that. I guess the weird thing about me, at least I think it's weird, is uh, when I get the story idea and it takes hold, I usually get an opening scene in my head. And so I, I write down the opening really, really quickly. And then oftentimes, then I think about where the story might go. And oftentimes I see the ending as well. I'll see the ending scene. So for all of my books, except one, I've had the opening written and the ending written. And then I just have to fill in the murky middle, as I call it, the murky middle. Um, So that's, that's my writing process. Now with the photo thief, yeah, with the photo thief, it's very multi-generational. So it goes from a 94 year old main character, who's a world war II veteran down to his 18 year old, great-granddaughter. And so with that one, I did have to do character sketches just to get the timeline right, because I realized as I, as, as I started writing it um, that I was making Cassie, the 18-year-old, Leland's granddaughter. And I was like, no, wait, that's not going to uh, work <laughs> as far yeah. as timing. So, so I did have to do a character sketch just for the characters' ages and generations and things like that so that I got some of the facts right. But, sure. but that's the most I've done as far as outlining or anything like that. So then it really is just, hmm, here's how it begins. Here's how it ends. Fill it in for a year and, and come out the other side. Wow, that is so, such a fascinating process. Because I've heard of other people doing, you know, other people who are pantsers, which I just love that term so very much. <laughs> um, I've heard of other people, um, you know, having some loose idea, maybe not going through and, and 
setting up an outline, but having a loose idea of like, I think I want the story to go like this, but to really just have a starting point and an ending point and to let the story tell you what it wants in, in the middle is such a cool thing. I don't think I've heard that one yet. So I love that that, and that that has been such an effective process for you too, because here you are winning awards and, and putting out so many books and again, checking off that bucket list little thing. So <laughs> little thing I say as though it is not writing a novel. <laughs> so that is so very cool. Um, gosh, well, Jen, we have been on the podcast side listening to your audiobook. Have you listened to your audiobook? What is what was your experience like hearing it for the first time? I know that Camcat involves their authors in the audition process. So, what did you what did you think of that? So, I've been dreading this question because <laughs> I have not actually listened to my audiobook and let me tell you why. <laughs> I I hear certain voices in my head which sounds makes me sound very psychotic, but I hear my characters a certain way. And I can't listen to somebody else, no matter how good they are, narrating my characters. I just can't. So when CamCat sent me the audition tapes for the podcast, I did listen to them. And I sent a note back saying, you know what? I don't listen to audiobooks. I, I am probably not the best person to comment on who to choose. But if I were to choose, these are these are my favorites. And I totally left the decision in their hands because they knew much better than I um, who would be who would be a good narrator. So that's just a personal bias. I have nothing against audiobooks. And obviously sure. the CamCat chose well because the, the, it's won a lot of audiobook awards. But I just I hear um, I hear Bruce Willis <laughs> in uh, the movie The Sixth Sense. I don't know if you ever saw the movie yes, The Sixth uh -huh. Sense. Um, it's, it's an older <laughs> movie at this point but um Gabe love that love that movie too, creepy paranormal <laughs> and and yeah. i totally based detective brennan now now bruce willis's character um uh, was a psychi psychiatrist or psychologist i can't remember now in that movie crow was his last name and if you'll recall mm. there was a crow that featured prominently in this book so i totally based detective brennan on bruce willis's character in the sixth sense and if i don't know how familiar you are with um m night Shyamalan, Shyamalan, uh -huh, right? That's how, yeah. Shyamalan with with his movies but he is a Philadelphia native he sets most of his movies in Philadelphia and he would be like totally my dream director for this book or um uh del Toro Guillermo del Toro mm. um the, the, but anyway Sha it, Sha Sha Shyamalan I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I always thought it was Shyamalan, Shyamalan would be my dream <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He would be my dream director because I think he would totally get this book. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I I mean, you know, I have a question about uh, about movie casting, so we will definitely get into this. I love, I did not put two and two together about the Crow reference. That is so fun. And also, of course, now that you're saying M. Night Shyamalan and, and Guillermo del Toro, I see it. Yes, it's, <laughs> it would be such a good match. Um, and to your point about, um, just to, to backtrack the slightest bit of not listening to your audiobook, don't worry. I've asked plenty of authors this question and they've said very similar things of, you know, they sound a certain way in my head and I kind of was afraid to break that image. It's my baby and I don't want to, <laughs> to, right. to, to lose that connection to it. So I, no judgment on my end. <laughs> I, I, um, <laughs> I also know that it can be kind of kind of wild to hear your words read back to you. That's what some of the authors have said as well, that it's just such a yeah. an out-of-body experience. So um, I, I always think that it is 
um, kind of funny that an author, you know, oh, you know, I'm so intimately familiar with the audiobook now and the and that's what I'm basing so much of my knowledge of the book on. And and an author would be like, Wow, I have no idea <laughs> that how, how the story was told in that through that lens. So it, that is just a, always something that tickles me a little bit. But okay, back to the movie things. You knew this question was coming. I think our audience at this point also knows this question very well. Um, and it is funny to me too that this, may, it sounds like you might have had an easier time picturing actors and, and, um, and directors for who you would want to be a part of the movie since you were like, oh, I don't, I, I want them to sound a certain way. Did you also feel like you were able to find actors that looked the way that you were hoping they would? Well, yes and no. I mean, it was easy for some of them, but for Brennan, who is the one of the two major characters, yeah. uh, because of my age, most of the actors that um, I would picture for him are now too old <laughs> to, to really play that role because Brennan is in his 40s. And so you think of Bruce Willis, for instance, you know, <laughs> Bruce Willis could not play Brennan at this point. So, uh, <laughs> but for, for Cassie, there was only one person that I ever thought of. And uh, I think she would be perfect. And that's Sadie Sink. Like, I can totally see her as Cassie, um, down to the red hair. I mean, she would be perfect. And for Leland, Clint Eastwood, right? Why not? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I mean, he would be perfect. Um, And if I had to pick for Brennan, I I, I would probably, he would be the hardest one. I mean, there could be a whole list of people that could be Brennan. Chris Evans um, could be Brennan. Young Bruce Willis. I think Mark or Donnie Wahlberg, Ah. Mark or Donnie Wahlberg too. And and fun fact, Donnie Wahlberg was in the opening scene of The Sixth Sense. The the very opening scene, he was the young boy, that uh, young man that, yes, that killed himself. So Mark or Donnie Wahlberg, I think would be good. Um, Even uh, Keanu Reeves, if he'd cut his hair, if he would cut his hair, I think he'd be good in that. Hugh Jackman, Jeremy Renner, Leonardo DiCaprio, any of them would be, (laughs) could make a good Brennan, I think. I feel like there is a whole generation of actors that are all kind of that age group now that would totally be a good fit. Um, so I, everybody you're saying, as soon as you say their name, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd never thought of that, but Ooh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. That one too. <laughs> Everything, every actor you've said, Leo DeCat. Wow. Yeah. But when you mentioned Mark and Donnie, Wal- or specifically Mark Wahlberg, I'm more familiar with um, him just because I feel like he's done so many things lately, but I, cast him in such like a goofy guy role in my brain that I when you first said Mark and Donnie Wahlberg I was like oh oh I had that kind of half second of a realization of oh wait yeah that would be a really interesting element to bring to Brennan oh I really love that cast list (laughs) how fun Um, you have other books. We've kind of gotten to talk a little bit about the other books that you have out right now. And I know you've, you've really gone into that first trilogy that you wrote. Um, do you care to go into them anymore? And what about that fourth book too? What is that one about? Yeah, so I haven't mentioned the fourth book, I guess. Um, Con Me Once is the name of it. And uh, that was my foray into comedy, believe it or not. Even though I say that lightly, again, I told you, cross-genre, right? It's very gritty. It's I, I liken it to a Coen Brothers movie. 
So it's gritty, but it's got that farcical aspect to it. And it actually won a Silver Falchion Award for Best Comedic Thriller several oh, years fun. ago. Um, and uh, it, it's a, it gives, that particular book gives me the warm and fuzzies. It's also set in Philadelphia. Interestingly enough, <laughs> I used the same Irish mob crime family in Con Me Once as I did in The Photo Thief. Um, oh so there's gosh. a connection between those two books. Um, there's a lot of action that takes place in Fishtown, which is a section of Philadelphia. So I sort of did the Stephen King thing and started to create a, a world, basically. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. It's about two young misfit guys, you know, like in their early 20s, late teens, um, you know, ex-foster kids and uh, who just uh, need to learn the true meaning of family and heroism. They, they want to be... They want to be superheroes and they prance around in homemade costumes and then they get involved in some, can I say shit? They get involved in some real shit. So you can edit totally. that out if you can. <laughs> so, yeah, they get involved in some real stuff. And I, I got that idea actually from um, a GQ article of all things many years wow. ago, a GQ article about the real life superhero community. That's exactly what it's called, the real life superhero community. And a man named Phoenix Jones, they had done an interview with him. That's and a I forget name. where he's from, That's Detroit a or somewhere. Like, name. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this guy dressed up in, yeah, sure is. And he dressed up in a homemade costume and patrolled his neighborhood and, oh and half the time got the you know crap kicked out of him or whatever. Um, but I thought I got to thinking about that again with my medical mind, thinking, what is the psychology of that? What is the yeah. need that these mostly men, mostly men, experience that makes them do this? Because um, actually, in a way, it's kind of dangerous. They they could really get it because they don't have superhero skills, right? Sure. <laughs> um, and so that's that's what really was the nexus for that book. It was just that idea of what's the psychology behind the need? What are these guys seeking? And then I turned it into a you know Comic Con mob heist cross country novel, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Wow. Did you feel? I mean, it sounds like there was a lot of inspiration sparked from this guy and from this community. Did you feel like you had something in the photo thief that was kind of the spark that gave you the inspiration for that story? Yeah, I, I know exactly when I got the inspiration for that story. I was eating lunch with a friend years ago and there was national public radio NPR playing in the background and they were talking about photo thieves. Um, and I had never heard that term before. Yeah. And what, and I explained this in the, in the book, but what a photo thief was, was in the 1930s, the major city newspapers like the Philadelphia Inquirer would um, hire skinny young boys to break into families' homes and steal uh, family photos off the piano or off the walls or whatever. So they had images to run in their newspaper to accompany their stories about gruesome family murders. So in other words, if an entire family had been murdered, they wanted a photo of the family so they could run it in the newspaper. And so they were called photo thieves and these boys made pennies, but got, got them through the Great Depression so they didn't starve. And it occurred to me as I was hearing this, that these were the same young men that were then going to get sent off to World War II um, in the huh. 19, late 30s, early 40s. And I thought about that sort of combined psychological trauma. Sure. There's a lot of psycho psychology in my books. So what would that do to these young men? And, and how would that look generations later? Because there's something called generational trauma that gets right. passed on. Uh, we're seeing that right now with things like the, the survivors from Ukraine and things like that. So generational trauma. And so 
I didn't want to write a historical. I've never written a historical. I didn't want to write a book set in the 30s or the 40s. And so the photo thief centers more around the 18-year-old great-granddaughter, right. Cassie. But Leland Dolan, the World War II veteran, is still a major, major character in that Yes. Book. Well, I think that it is so cool to hear, and I have told authors this before, but it's it's always so fun for me to hear what that inspiration was because I feel like it's never what I expect it to be I would have thought that it was oh I have this concept of uh, a young girl who sees you know claims she can talk to the dead but can she really you know I love that it was based off of you know these photo thieves wow oh I really love that I, I feel like I have a new appreciation for that section of the book where you're talking about that and for as you mentioned the character of Leland I feel like I love that that was the spark that's just so fun um wow I I just I'm 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 so (laughs) taken aback by that being and and now I just feel like you know when you hear one piece of information and suddenly as as books tend to do a brilliant job of in the photo thief is no exception to that where you get one new piece of information and all of the threads kind of come together that's the moment I just had where you're reading a good book but I'm hearing a good story (laughs) that is so so fun well I'm glad I'm glad I gave you that moment yeah um and then you mentioned also sorry before I I know I just said we're wrapping up but you mentioned before that you kept the same kind of mob family um do you feel like you are creating this Delosier universe where all your books do kind of happen in the same you know maybe not timeline but in the same world um yes and no because remember I'm a pantser I'm a pantser so I don't know where that's gonna take me (laughs) so uh but I'm keeping it in the back of my mind so it might I might be able to thread all these stories together like Stephen King does with his universe so but being a pantser I can't answer that so I don't know that's totally fair (laughs) I think that that's a, a, a fair response to that well I'm looking at my questions just because I'm trying to keep keep my question that I really have for you in the back of my mind. So we will come to the last one before we start to wrap up. Um, what are you reading right now? So I actually just went on a reading binge um, to prepare for whatever I'm going to write next. And uh, I just finished Riley Sager's um, The Only One Left which I loved. I saw that it was nominated for one of the Goodreads Awards. It didn't win, but it was nominated. And that was, that was well deserved. I think a lot of people compare my writing to Riley Sager's. Um, Mm. I I own a couple of his other books. I haven't read them yet, so I can't really comment on that. Although I could totally see it with the only one left that, that we do have a similar sort of concept with our writing. So I just finished that, loved it. And next in my queue is one called the bandit Queens. Um, that might've been nominated for a Goodreads award too. I'm not sure. Um, Perini Shroff is the author. So, um, and again, that's more research, um, oriented, uh, but it looks like it's going to be a good read. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, I have heard of, um, Riley, remind me the last name you just mentioned. I I, I saw Sager. Sager, yes, I saw his. Um, I saw that his book had won or been nominated for a Goodreads award, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So the the name sounds familiar. It's good to know that that is of a similar vein to your kind of books because mm-hmm. I always, when I love a book, I'm always like, oh, okay, what is like this? <laughs> well, how can I consume more of this type of content? So that's very fun. Um, good to know and. Okay, so 
for our audience who does not want to hear this somewhat spoilery but not spoilery question go ahead and skip the next maybe two minutes let's say um and jen so now two minutes are on the clock um (laughs) and i'm just dying to know if you you know at the end of the book um brennan kind of makes the decision to go to cassie and say hey you know can you connect me to my daughter um do you as the author feel like that was a legitimate connection there or like that was just something that you know from her kind of delusions came from her delusions yeah I my intent and of course I don't want my readers I want my readers to make their own decision that was my point with this book is I wanted book clubs to argue over whether this was a paranormal (laughs) book whether Cassie was just mentally ill or it was her seizures or was she really talking to ghosts so I want everybody to make their own decision but in my mind as I was writing the book yeah she can talk to the dead and that was a legitimate a legitimate connection well I love that because that is how I I when I read the book the first time I went into the ending with the intention that I'm reading this from the perspective that she absolutely has that ability and then listening to the audiobook I kind of played with the idea that she, that it's all in her head and um, I feel like you experience the book in in such a different way depending on the lens that you view it through so I, I love that that was you, my point Yes. I love that you um, a were intentional about that. And I think in other interviews that I have seen you in and that you and I have kind of because we've we've done some little book talk panels and things before. So um, and other things I think you've mentioned, you know, it's up to the reader to decide. But I love that (laughs) the mentality that I was in when I was like, this is absolutely an ability she has was such a fun one that I love that to think that that was the mentality you had as you were writing it too. <laughs> well, Jen, I, I will, Hey guys, if you <laughs> skipped through that, we're here, we're back. <laughs> and Jen, <laughs> I had such a lovely time chatting with you. Uh, it was really such a delight to have you on our show. Thank you so much for sharing all of this information with us. It was a blast, Jess. I love doing this. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. And to the listeners at home, you can find The Photo Thief in print, ebook, and of course, audiobook formats on our website, camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. You can find Camcat Unwrapped on all major podcast platforms or watch us on our YouTube channel. And of course, give us a follow on social media at camcatbooks. Thank you all so very much for coming and unwrapping this book to live in with me. Jen, it was such a delight to have you, and I will see you all next time here on CamCat Unwrapped.